You're listening to episode 161 of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. My name's Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we continue our look at season one of TNT's The Librarians. And you've got the silencer mode on at your place today, so everything's <laughs> sounding great. Yep. All uh, all children are away at summer camp, so uh, there was, is silence in the house. And our wives are off to work. Right. There, there you go. I don't like the way you said that. <laughs> I, 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 I noted some glee in that. No, no, not really. Okay. <laughs> I got a little bit of housekeeping I want to take care of before we get to librarians today. And, and first of all, I want to thank whoever took the time to go to iTunes, give us a five-star rating. I know a lot of podcasts suggest and encourage that their listeners write reviews, give ratings on the podcast page at iTunes. And, you know, I've just never really felt comfortable doing that. And, and you know, you and I haven't really talked about it much, but Wayne and I certainly appreciate the fact that you take the time to download the podcast and listen. And, and for us, that's enough. I mean, we're not going to ask you not to do it, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah. We're just kind of like hands back, cool, laid back. You want to do it. It's nice, you know. It's it's great, obviously. When especially when someone gives you five stars, that uh, you know, it's nice to get good feedback and compliments. And thank you very much. We appreciate it, and we appreciate your listening as well. And we don't ask for money. We don't ask for. We don't have sponsors or ads in the middle of it or anything like that. Which is, you know, what I mean. I don't know. There's like a lot of podcasts. I get it. Like they, I listen to like you know stuff you should know. I enjoy it, but like the big ad breaks they take all of a sudden, like in the middle of a podcast, like they they got a flow going. Also, like, hey, why don't we stop for a break? You know, and they're talking about like some uh, like me undies, me undies. Like seriously, is uh, one of their sponsors. It's just like really bothersome. I mean, I get it. Like they're a professional podcast, and these guys are getting paid, but you know. Right. And Patreon is another big one. And, you know, we don't even have a Patreon account. And about two years ago, I don't even know if I probably told you at the time, I put up a PayPal link on our homepage and I took it down a day later. It just didn't feel right. So anyway, right. thanks. Thanks again for taking time out of your day to listen to us. We do it because we love it. But on the other hand, you know, you get stuff like, you know, our producer screwing up and having like the first half of the show, like out of sync and stuff like that. You know? he, he's received a stern talking to, Good. I can assure you. Did, did you tell his job's on the line now. I, I did indeed. So, all right. Speaking of jobs on the line, I'm going to put you on the spot once again. Okay. Favorite show that you're currently watching, Librarians Accepted, of course. Right, right. Yeah, you're not really putting me on the spot because you warned me you were going to ask me this. And I've been thinking about it, and I still haven't really come up with a great answer. You know, I think I got to go with, which is not obviously a genre show, but right now, like Hell on Wheels is probably uh, the favorite, my favorite show that I'm watching now. Oh, my brother-in-law loves that show. He's been talking that up with me for at least two years, probably three. Yeah, it's it's really good. I, I, I like it a lot. But uh, if you would ask me that question five months ago, well, two months ago, uh, three months ago, maybe, I don't know, whatever, whatever you know, all the shows were in full swing, uh, I might have answered differently then. But right now, for sure, I'm watching 12 Monkeys, uh, Killjoys, Dark Matter, um, now, like all of those, more or less, and out of those, probably I would say, you know, like I like Dark Matter uh, the, the most out of those uh, group of shows. But uh, Hello Wheels really is really well written, well acted, uh, produ- awesome production values. It's fantastic cinematography. Um, it's got a lot going yeah. for it. Well, you know, when I took my notes, like you, I really love 
12 Monkeys, but I wasn't considering that my favorite at this point. And I, I wrote down Dark Matter. I, I love the fact that one of the six is significantly younger than the others, yet holds her own despite the rest of the team trying to watch over her like, like uh, doting parents. I love the fact that two took over immediately at the beginning of season one. And now I love the fact that the writers and the showrunner are really moving the story forward at a rapid pace. Yeah, that and said, apparently have killed off a major character. <laughs> well, that remains to be seen. Right, and, exactly. and that's one of my pet peeves <laughs> is that they have two characters that look identical. You kill off the one that the rest of the cast has been interacting with. And now they don't know that that character has been replaced by his or her evil twin. Now I've been assured that that's not the case, but I, I see no evidence of it yet. And I'm up to date. Well, you know, honestly, I don't know if one, and I know this is going to get you. I don't know if one's really dead oh, God. <laughs> because like they, you know, they, they just, it was so like random how, you know, I can't remember the bad guy's name who, like they're doppelgangers, uh, you know, comes in and shoots him. Obviously, all indicators, it looks like he has a fatal headshot. And then, you know, they're hearing news reports of the death of the guy who basically was one, his real uh, name and everything. But, you know, they're, they're doing it in a very circumspect way that I just keep feeling like they're, he's not quite dead. I don't know. Maybe it's just me being a little bit. All right. Well, anyway, all of that said, my wife and I finally watched the season two finale of Outlander. And I know I've been talking it up with you and I know why you haven't watched it. OMG. So yeah. here, here, here's what you need to do when we get back to work in the, in the fall. Your co-teacher, whose last name rhymes with that luncheon meat that people generally buy when they're trying to save money okay. <laughs> and borrow it from her. All right. Dude, I'm telling well, you. Well, I think uh, season one is on uh, is on Netflix or, or, oh, it is. or Amazon. One of those. It's That you have? Yeah. Wow. Okay. All right. Well, we're here to discuss season one, episode three of The Librarians, titled The Librarians and the Horns of a Dilemma. But as always, before we get to that, want to remind you, we'd love to hear from you via email at sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com or at the website where you can leave a voicemail using the leave voicemail tab. You can also record your own audio clips and the MP3 as an attachment, or just send us a tweet at sci-fi TV rewatch. And we'd encourage you to consider joining the Facebook group and join the discussions there. And as always, we want to remind you that we're going to cover season one of HBO's take on Michael Crichton's Westworld when it airs in October. If you haven't seen the original 1973 film yet, check it out. It's worth the 90 minute time investment. Trust me, it, it really is. Okay. All right. Got, got some librarians news, and this is per Deadline.com, which is a legitimate news source. Librarian's executive producer, Noah Wiley, has signed a deal to reprise his role as Flynn Carson on the TNT action-adventure series' upcoming third season. He's going to appear in seven of the ten episodes, the most he's done in one season. Additionally, he's set to direct two episodes from season three, and he's also going to write one. What can we expect from season three? Well, the show will be a bit scarier, with a little higher stakes to put more pressure on the characters and how they handle things. And that's according to Dean Devlin. 
Wiley signed on for the first Librarian movie as a hiatus project while he was on ER. And as an action adventure with comedy elements, it felt like a nice break from the intense storylines on that NBC medical drama. And that kind of answers, I think it was you that mentioned last time, you wonder if he'll appear more often now that Falling Skies ended. And the answer is yes. Yes. And then can't really substantiate it, but the rumor on the librarian's Reddit page is that there's going to be a November return for season three, which will, by the way, contain 13 episodes. And that's, again, been a point of contention. I've read 15, 13, and 10. So make of it what you will at this point. Well, good. I'm glad it's more than 10 because it just... Each of the last two seasons, it just seemed like it was over before it began. You know, I think we mentioned this last week, especially where they, you know, they double up a couple of times. Usually, I think they did. You said they did it three times in season one. I, I think they did it at least twice, maybe three times in season two. So that's really, you know, that's like f- seven weeks. It's it's on right, and then it's done. Right. Yeah. So. so. All right. Episode three, season one. Before we get to that, you know, if we were doing our really, I, w- I would do it right now. All right. I got two two things here. Okay. All right. Number one, I get that Ray has lightsaber skills. I mean, clearly the force is strong with her, <laughs> but Finn, what the hell? He should have been cut the ribbons right away. Number two, General Organa, your son's a dick. Your brother's a dick. <laughs> Take the damn lightsaber. Don't leave the girl hanging. What the heck? Oh, that's not what we're talking about, is it? No, that's okay, though. Because that indicates I actually finally saw it. Oh! It was pretty good, dude. I can't believe it took you. I know. I know. And you told me. (laughs) Uh, It's hilarious. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, yeah. Good, Good flick, huh? Yeah. I was surprised. Uh, she's great, that girl that played Ray. Oh, I love yeah, her. Yeah. You know, really, everybody. And it's funny because I had been spoiled. How can you help it uh, if you go on the internet? So I knew Han Solo was going to die, but I got to tell you, I, I forgot about it totally until about maybe 15 minutes left in the movie. Right. And then, I, and then it occurred to me. Well, I'm like, oh. Yeah. Well, you kind of like see the, um, the, the setup because, you know, like so much. Oh, we didn't. Have, we haven't even talked about it because you haven't watched that. It's crazy. We'll do that next time. But, uh, yeah. um, but you know, you see that like because so much of the that movie is you know parallels a New Hope that uh, you could see that the the setup with Han Solo and uh, um, Rilo Ke- Kylo Ren very similar to the Darth Vader Ben Kenobi uh sequence in a new hope so um you know i didn't know han solo was going to die i had stayed spoiler free but um you know once that scene unfolded i'm like oh oh yeah like they're just setting this up like ben kenobi and everything so yeah well you waited probably a couple of weeks before you saw it i think the statute no i I went out. out on the first day oh you did okay yeah so all right on to the librarians. This one's written by Jeremy Bernstein, who has written four episodes of Librarians, three of another TNT show called Leverage, directed by Mark Roskin, who's done seven librarians, and a, a host of other TNT shows, Covert Affairs, Leverage, Burn Notice. And this one aired December 14th, 2014. All right, so we got one major guest star here, 
Trisha Helfer. Yeah, as the it's CEO. a significant guest star, right? Yeah. Uh, obviously, we know her as Six on Battlestar Galactica. She's joining the cast of Lucifer for season two. And again, that's another show that, that my wife and I both love. She's going to be playing Lucifer's mother. Oh. And she, yeah. And she has a recurring role on Powers. But I mean, like she's getting roles as people's mothers now. Like that's not right. Well, but the thing is, I think the whole not aging. Right. Okay. Right. 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 Still comes into play here. Still. Well, she's a little older than, I mean, she's probably 10 to 15 years older than the guy that plays Lucifer in real life. Right. But no more than that. All right. Anyway, uh, librarians. Now, if we examine the episode's title, what's the dilemma? Yeah. Is it Stone's refusal to trust Cassandra? Is it Eve's difficulty letting the team go into the field, which is fraught with danger? Is it Jenkins coping with the fact that his quiet life has been interrupted? I mean, it could be any of those, and I guess we could make a case that it's all of them. Yeah, or it could be the overall dilemma of solving you know, a mystery. It, it could be, but as I really started taking notes, watching it a second time, don't overlook the fact that this show can go deep. The librarians that is. Sure. And I think this episode was just outstanding follow-up to the two-part premiere. Right. And that's where a, a lot of shows have that kind of, and I know this is the third, not the second episode, but it's technically the, you know, like the second story. They have a terrific pilot or premiere and it draws you in, and then the next episode comes up, and it's just, you know, it's not nearly as good. Yeah, it leaves you flat. Right, and uh, that's definitely not the case here. Right, and obviously one of the questions we ask, is this going to be a series of one-offs, or will there be an overarching story? More than likely, it's going to be a combination of the two. And, you know, we've talked about this before. I've seen season two I'll be damned if I can remember any of it. Um, I mean, watching this was like watching it for the first time. Yeah, right, right. Well, and I, I think part of it is because it's overdone with so quickly. And then it's like another, I think this year was more than a year between the end of season one and the beginning of season two. So yeah, you, you forget. I mean, this, it was, you know, this was like, 2014 right sure 2013 2014 well and i didn't watch it live i binged it once i finally decided that it was something i wanted to see Oh, okay so like you said i probably watched it in a weekend right which is well and you know it's kind of like the same thing you know like a lot of stuff that you know i binge watch you know you go back like uh, a year or two later it's tough to remember details about it because you like yeah you know, like i said you watched it over a weekend or over you know a couple of days and I, I think we've had this discussion before i know when i was binging lost you were saying how you know between episodes that would give you like a full week where you were thinking about what had happened before uh you know going online discussions talking about it with people at lunch and things like that so it was more than just you know watching a bunch of episodes you'd have like you know you'd eat it's like eating a meal then chewing it very slowly rather than shoving it all down your mouth at once right and that's what we're going to get to do uh, as we cover it this episode is as much a dialogue between colonel baird and jenkins i think as it is about the mission because they're learning to not only trust each other but 
learn each other's strengths and weaknesses. And there's a great line that, that he tells Eve later in the episode that, that I'll hold off on that. But it was one of the most meaningful things I think any character in this episode had to say. And there were a lot of meaningful things said. And I mean, she depends on him to help her solve issues in the mission as she too is getting her feet wet in the world of magic now that Flynn's gone. I, I love how she still gets cell service in in the labyrinth, <laughs> in, in the labyrinth, in parallel, whatever they are. Yeah, yeah. She must uh, she must be on Verizon. So <laughs> that's what I was thinking. <laughs> Actually, boy, that would be a great selling point for Verizon. Yeah, it would be. Ads on TNT. <laughs> I love the mildly combative relationship that the two have. And just the fact that he doesn't really want to be bothered. And she realizes that despite her military training, she's out of her depth. And I like the fact that really outside of Ezekiel, everybody's pretty low key about their own self-esteem. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. Yeah. And the fact that he's not makes it even better. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's he's great, and yeah, his arrogance is uh, a big part of his character. But yet, at the end, you know, he has that really nice, comforting words for Cassandra. Um, so it's not like he's completely he's really self confident, but he's not completely self centered. Yeah, and and they, I think they've all been working as individuals. And now to be part of a team is going to be a difficult transition. Although I think I even mentioned it last week, I find it hard to believe that Jones didn't work with any crews, but maybe not. You know, he probably thinks he's so much better than everybody else. He doesn't need any other crooks. Yeah, right. And we see that Jacob is, though he has been working with his family for a long time, he has never let them in or let them see his real self. So he's kind of been on his own for a long time. And we know Cassandra has been, you know, leading a, a pretty lonely existence as well. So yeah, you're right. They're all three of people who have just been going solo for so long. And now they, you know, and Jacob says, it's, it's just, it's going to be tough for me to trust you to, you know, basically say to, it's not that Cassandra's not trustworthy, but it's just like Jacob doesn't really know how to let people in. He doesn't know how to operate as a part of a team. Yeah, and that's obviously one of the big mysteries that that we end this episode curious about. So hopefully we'll get to get some answers on that. Now, is it bad that I like Joan's brain grape references to Cassie's tumor? <laughs> well, it's because they play it up for, uh, you know, obviously for comic effect where she keeps saying, we're not calling the brain grape. And then at the end, she's like, follow the brain grape. So, <laughs> exactly. you know, and it becomes a thing, you know, like, like, I've forgotten that how it worked its way into like their kind of the lexicon of the show um, because it, that's like basically what they refer to it as uh, from, you know, pretty constantly from, from here on out. And so like, I was wondering about her resistance to him. Like she says, we're not going to call it brain grip, like, but that's what you end up calling it, you know, and everything. So, but it's just, the, the show's very funny like that and everything, how it works, something that, something that is, you know, would seemingly be a, um, not a very sensitive way to deal with a life-threatening, uh, you know, condition. Turns out that they, they take this lighthearted approach and it's not insulting, you know, it's, it's like a way of dealing with it. All right, well. 
opening scene, I, I really love the plot device of the clippings book. And obviously that's going to be a staple of the show as we move through the season. We find out it's been adding stories daily, but the team is training under Eve's supervision. And like any good coach, she's not happy with the way things are going. <laughs> and, you know, the whole, you're not ready to play a game. I love Jenkins rebuttal that they got to go sooner or later. Usually we send them out with no training. Right. And she's like, how'd that work out? Well, the good ones come back. (laughs) But, you know, I I think she's more afraid of her own unpreparedness than she is of them. Well, definitely. But also she's used to doing things a certain way, right? She was in the military. So you would never go out in the field with untrained troops, right? Oh, yeah. And so she's going at it as, as what she's used to. That we got to get these kids ready for action, but the you know the fact is, and what she learns is that they're already ready, but it's not in military skills. That's that's those aren't the skills they need for this job, right? And there's that scene later in the episode when she's barking orders in the alleyway, and surprise, it's Cassie that tells her to hold her horses. Yeah, I'm not yeah. a soldier. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. And she's like, oh yeah, you're right. <laughs> All right, so but but, uh, but I want to say that I do also agree with you that um, that yeah, part of it is uh, Eve's own, you know, t- just complete th- doesn't know what this job really is going to entail, um, and her feeling unprepared. I I agree that that's part of it as well for sure. Yeah, because how how could she? I mean, yeah, <laughs> she works, yeah, there's, there's no way, right? And she works with Flynn, who basically tells her as little as possible i mean not because he's trying to keep things from her but he's just off in his own world right so all right well we got a procedural eight individuals around the world have gone missing the only connection seems to be that each appeared in the clippings book during the past few weeks and then i i I love that point when eve says okay fine are you ready to risk your life for somebody you don't know and they all say yes, except Ezekiel. Well, no, I'm not, I'm not but I figure I can life. outrun anything. Yeah, exactly. It's like, all right, well, we're going to have research and we're going to have a plan. And then, of course, Jenkins rigs up his magic door. And, and I was thinking about this. It's, you know, one of the beauties of this show is that it is family friendly. You can watch it with your kids and it's educational. I mean, come on. One of the first things we learn is about an Einstein-Rosen bridge, which is a real thing. It's, you know, a theory of time travel that if you create a wormhole, then it's theoretically possible to move through time. Right. Well, you see how excited Cassie gets as well. Like that's uh, I love about her characters when she's like starts running around and clapping her hands because she gets really juiced about something like that. Which then begs that question. How did she end up as a janitor at the hospital? Right. She must have been saving her money because she's got an awesome wardrobe. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, uh, I was following some threads on, uh, gosh, it must have been Twitter. And you know, th- th- this one, I'll say girl, I have no idea how old she is, but was just commenting you know, one, one tweet after another about how awesome her wardrobe is. And I'm thinking like, yeah, you're right. <laughs> I, mean, I can see you know, somebody in your 20s. All right. They meet. 
the CEO, Karen Willis, who's played by Trisha Helfer. And the first thing I think they think, and, and I think as well, is that, all right, there's some kind of conspiracy to control the world's food supply, right? Because they're big agra. Right. And you just watch the way that Eve is eyeballing her when they're in her office. It yeah. was great. Yeah, that was a really good scene with two uh, really good actresses and, uh, you know, like both playing tough women roles, which, you know, again, like how, oh, you really think about it, that's, that's not very often where you see, you know, where like the, the main tough characters are in the episode are both women. Right. And it was that perfect balance between the tension of an interrogation and the fact that this is not law and order, right. you know? Right. Well, because and, right away it's like, okay, well, take it down to human resources. You know, it's like. Exactly. And these characters are about as engaging as any you're going to find. And, and at this point in the series, we're just scratching the surface. But, but this little meeting in the office tells us a lot. All right. So Eve decides they need to break into the server room so she can find out what's going on. And of course, Ezekiel's already noted where it is. Mm-hmm. And here's the first instance in this procedural where even Ezekiel says, well, why am I not breaking into it? A class thief here, <laughs> but she just is not ready to send them off without her, but she does on her own. I mean, well, she sends them off, right. But, but there's safety in numbers. Right. Well, and she thinks where they're going, there's no danger. Exactly. They're, they're just going down to human resources. So that's like lesson number one that she learned that there's peril everywhere. When you're yes. a librarian. Exactly. Now, she gets Franklin's access card, and obviously that was her plan all along. <laughs> That's crazy how she does that. Uh, well, that was. But you'd <laughs> like to think Ezekiel would have done the same thing, just in a different well, way. Well, he wouldn't have done all the punching, right? <laughs> well, <laughs> right. Because he doesn't hit. He doesn't do He's the, a thief. I don't do the punchy. Exactly. But once she gets into the server room, all right. This is not a server room, and it's all these ancient artifacts. I'm thinking at this point, well, in retrospect, it was probably a mistake to split up the team. But obviously, that's going to be something that's really interesting about the show as you have the different pairings. You know, here we've got Eve by herself and the other three together. Then obviously, the you know, we see Eve later with Stone and Cassie and Ezekiel together. So that, that's really going to be fascinating as we go go forward. Yeah, which is kind of like what you can do. Like, that's one of the things about Dark Matter, too, that makes it so compelling. You have this ensemble cast, and you can do that. You can have characters interact with each other in separate situations, and it reveals uh, something more about those characters. So, yeah. Right, but then... But, but the nice thing, only having four, and then, of course, five w- with Jenkins is that they are going to have to get to know each other. Right. You know, even with Dark Matter, where you've got the six, then plus Android, you know, it's it's it just makes it more difficult. So it's going to really uh, be great to look at. Now, obviously, they take a wrong turn, or at least they think they take a wrong turn, and they end up in that sub-basement whose walls are adorned with ancient art, which now we we uh, play up to Stone's strengths. And then, because, of course, he recognizes the, the eras. 
open the HR door. Well, they're in, they're in human resources. It's just the resources are dead. Right. Yeah. It was like, uh, I can't remember what Eve said. She is, she's on the phone with, with Jacob and he says, oh yeah, that is weird. We found a room full of human skulls. Right. Yeah. And obviously these are all the offerings over the, I think she says 3000 years, but we're reminded this is a show about magic and the supernatural. Right. Don't forget it. Yeah. Well, right. so which, it, which, you know, like the good, like with the door and everything like that, it's just, it's kind of like Doctor Who, right? Where you can, you, you have this device that allows you to pretty much go anywhere or do anything, you know, like when you got like a TARDIS, you can set the show anywhere at any time. I don't think there's no time travel here, but they can still, with this door, they can go anywhere. They're not just stuck in Oregon. You know, saying that, that that's a perfect analogy. And then what came to mind, do you think it's fair to say it's Doctor Who-ish, but with better production values? <laughs> I think the Doctor Who team might have something to say to you about that. But okay. uh, And I was going to say, the Doctor Who production values have, have certainly improved significantly since it came back in 2005. There's no question. Right. Um, but, but yeah, there's, there's definitely uh, a a bunch of parallels uh, with Doctor Who, especially with the snappy dialogue, the lighthearted at times uh, tone, but kind of like a mix between the, the 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 dark and light as far as the tone goes. You know, like sometimes it's very serious, uh, sometimes not so much. Um, so yeah, I see a lot of parallels with Doctor Who here. Yeah, and that'll be interesting to see whether we get any of the dark in the librarians. Obviously with 12 and, and certainly... Matt Smith before him, you know, who, who ended up pretty dark at the end of his tenure. Yeah. So, so we'll, we'll see. All right. Well, they realize they're in the middle of the Minotaur's labyrinth, make the connection between Theseus and the Minoans. So we get a little bit of mythology. They're all separated. And, and this is the first time I think Eve realizes it's a good thing. She's got Verizon calls Jenkins and he's no help. And, and I love his sarcasm. It's a labyrinth. You're not supposed to get out. Right. Uh, but you know, like you see Jenkins, he acts like they're kind of like bothering him and everything. But on the other hand, he seems kind of excited to like try out some of these toys. Because remember, at the beginning, you know, he said he and Judson had this dispute, and he was of the opinion we should experiment with the artifacts and see what they're all about. And now he gets to use his toys, basically. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see. I think it's when rather than if Jenkins accompanies the team into the field on a mission. Right. Right. So we're also reminded that in mythology, the the labyrinth was designed by Daedalus and his son Icarus for King Minos to house the Minotaur with whom Minos's wife had fallen in love after he angered Poseidon. So this is, you know, how all this uh, comes about, but, you know, to a larger extent, I mean, this episode is really a character study as we learn about the characters as they learn about each other. And and that one line that Stone says, stuck in a magic maze with two of the most unreliable people I know, right. just really stings yeah. Cassie. Yeah, that was harsh. I mean, she's trying to puzzle out the puzzle using math. It does give the two a chance to deal with the fact that Stone still resents the fact that she sold him out, even though, I mean, I mean, again, I don't want to say she poured her heart out because that, that wouldn't be accurate, but she says, look, I was scared. They offered me a cure. What would you have done? 
And, you know, it, it's got a certain amount of emotional impact because we understand she is right and his self-righteousness, and she might even use that term. She, she, she did. She, she does say he's too self-righteous. And, and he is, but obviously as the episode goes on, there's something about his family that's important. We just don't know what it is yet. Right. And so this is a case where they're both kind of right. You know, like I, we get that, okay, Cassandra, we understand why you did what you did. But it, on the other hand, from Jacob's perspective, that still doesn't change the fact that you did it and you chose your well-being over that of other people. And in this case, really the entire world, right? Because you allowed these evil people to achieve their ends. So, you know, there is that. But on the other hand, she is absolutely right in that Jacob is completely self-righteous and judgy. And, you know, like they said, you know, you can't really judge a person until you've walked a mile in their shoes. I believe that's in some book I've read. But, uh, and, and he's not giving her that benefit of the doubt really yeah and you know there is something in his past that has led him to this if you trust somebody bad things happen way of thinking right and we don't know what it is yet but the other thing i found interesting is that as he's disparaging her it's almost as if that negative energy spurred her to come up with a solution right and then of course she does what she does best Yes, hallucinates and moves objects in the air. <laughs> exactly. All right, so the team's separated. I, I, again, I love that Eve has the presence of mind to fire shots in a Morse code sequence that they decode as L, librarians. All right, good. She's around somewhere. And even though they can't find each other right away, I think there's certain comfort in, in knowing that she hasn't abandoned them. Well, because and they, I think they just feel much safer with Eve around. Period. You know. Yeah, and then all of a sudden Jenkins opens a door, and the team returns to the annex. Now, we cut back while they're discussing what their next move is going to be. We cut to Willis, the CEO of the company, who tells Franklin that we need to expedite the timetable assumes that there's only one librarian and he was spotted in Budapest. So she feels relatively confident. And I guess if it was a lot more serious, we, we'd drag out the word hubris, but she's yeah. been doing this for a long time. So maybe she has the right to feel that way. Yeah, I was just really hoping that the other guy, when she said that, he would go, what you talking about, Willis? <laughs> nice. <laughs> All right. Well, we learned that magic has three levels, power, effect, and focus and that they figure they've got to destroy the ball of thread in the room, and that's going to bring the labyrinth crashing down. And, you know, the pathos in this scene and that that little exchange between Jenkins and Eve, I think along with the, the exchanges between Cassie and, and Stone, but this was even more so because she laments the fact that I fired like seven times and couldn't bring him down. And he just says, well, the library chose you for a reason, and it wasn't your ability to kill. Yeah. I'm like, wow. Yeah, I knew that was the line you were talking about. That was a great line. Yeah, because I I think here to four, it's just all military. And as you mentioned a few minutes ago, 
she's learning that military training is helpful, but it's not everything. Right. And what, as, as we said a couple of times now, what they're all learning is that, well, they're, they're all learning on the job, right? And they're learning how to be librarians and dealing with all this supernatural stuff. But most of all, they're learning how to, I would say almost to, to be more than just a group. It's more like a family, you know? Yes. Yes. And it's still early and, and that's hopefully where we're headed. They also realize at this point that they're not going to save the guy in the clipping book. So now Eve has to remind them that they're there to protect the world from out of control magic. So it kind of refocuses their mission here. And I guess you could also argue that the mission has been kind of out of focus from the start, which is understandable because they didn't exactly know what they were jumping into. All right. Well, they piece together the myth of King Minos that's still being played out in the 21st century. And the interns are the sacrifices. And then we get the significance of the seven and then the 14 and, and all of that. I think in the myth, it was, uh, they had to sacrifice virgins and uh, was it stone or Ezekiel? Yeah. Good luck finding a virgin. Yeah. yeah. Not little than 14. <laughs> yeah. I love the Minotaur taking human form and going after them. I thought that was a great touch. Yeah. I was trying to figure out whether what's more scary because when you, you see the Minotaur as a bull, you know, it's like we take a step back because it's kind of like, you know, like special effects and everything. But then when you see like the real guy, like now he's super scary. There's no special effects there. You know, it's just like, he's just straight up scary. So I think he's a little scarier as a human than as a bull. Yeah. Oh, you know, one thing that I forgot to mention in that opening scene when we see Franklin and Willis and they're wearing their hoods and I'm thinking, oh, cults wearing hoods? Yeah. Wayne and I will be on board with that. Right, right. It's a little very dark angel-y. <laughs> yes, exactly. We mentioned the scene, you know, they're, they're out in the alleyway and Eve's, you know, telling everybody where to go and that, you know, the scene where, where Cassie says, no, as you mentioned, I'm not a soldier and immediately Eve's reaction is not that I've had my authority challenged, but that you're right. And I posed this question, I think, last time, who's in charge? I think it's her, right? Ordinarily, the librarian was in charge. I mean, Flynn worked alone a lot, but here she's in charge. I think that's pretty clear. Yeah, she's... I would say maybe the leader rather than in charge so much because she that's that's exactly what Cassandra kind of reminds her of is that ordering us around to do things is not the way it works. We all have to work together, but they do need someone to focus that the direction of of what they do, and that's definitely what Eve is. So she's more of an executive than a commander. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and one of the things I also love here is that Cassandra, who at this point, we, we probably view her as the physically and emotionally weakest of the team, and yet she's the one to speak up. And then immediately, like, Eve says, all right, what do you know? Bingo. That's what librarians do. What do you know? Right. And then, obviously, once Cassie figures out the floor plan, though, to be fair, Stone's knowledge of the myth helps. Now the team has a plan. 
I like that scene, you know, Stone and Eve go off together to distract the Minotaur while the other two go in to steal the ball of string. And I like it at one point where she realizes this is kind of a losing battle, hands her gun to Stone and says, I'll take care of him at this point, ready to sacrifice herself. Now, I guess you don't want to lose your guardian on day one, but I guess it's possible. Right. And then you wonder what Stone's actually going to do. Is he, you know, going to run? But yeah. she gets well, him inside. We, we're pretty sure Jacob's not going to run because that's kind of like what they've established is what Ezekiel does. But uh, yeah, going on, take it on the Minotaur, man. That was. Uh, well, right. What Stone does is he just lashes out and, and, you know, like when he hits the Minotaur with the truck. Yeah. Harder and smarter. <laughs> uh, all right. So so they get inside. Cassie has self-doubts in that one scene. And who would have thought that Jones would have compassion? Right. And talks talks her through. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's, a, you know, probably one of my favorite parts here is where, you know, because Ezekiel is, as we said, very self-confident. But as we said, not self-centered. And, and he realizes that Cassandra needs some, you know, consolation here. And he's like, you know what? I I would have gone all the way. With, I would have done exactly what you did, except I would have let Flynn die. And so, you know, he, he showed, because I think she's feeling pretty badly about herself and, and Jacob's kind of making her feel badly about herself. And, you know, kind of by not getting over uh, what she's done. And, uh, and, you know, Ezekiel says, Hey, you know, you're better than most people, right? You know, like, yeah. Well, and I think this is a scene that really crystallizes the episode's central idea, which is trust. He says, well, I'm the thief that bails on everybody. I'm pretty sure you're trusting me. Right. <laughs> yeah. True. And, and then that, again, that enables her to do her thing. They find the string and, Seems a bit too easy, which turns out to be correct because Willis discovers them. Who are you people? <laughs> and even though Jones tells him, tells her they're the librarians, she doesn't believe him. He says, we're the librarians. We accept your surrender. <laughs> yeah, that was great. <laughs> that was great. And then I love the fact that she has decided that, you know, instead of offering up the 14 sacrifices once a year, let's spread it out. Yeah. And but still, says, all right. I mean, obviously... Okay, it's a TV show, but I know. you know, fourteen interns. Even if you spread it out or amortize it, as she said, over a year, I think people are going to notice. Well, but they have offices around the world. I don't think they're all from this office, although they all the skeletons oh, end up there, right? Well, because it's in the labyrinth, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah good point. Yeah. Okay, all right. So we got decision time. The CEO's stray bullet, of course, hits the glass, freeing the string. But oh, we know Jones would have gotten in there sooner or later. Right. But he's like, oh, that's one way to do it. <laughs> like, right. But here we are. And, and look, I mean, we know the episode's getting close to the end. Jones takes the string and runs, leaving her helpless on the floor. Yep. But I love what they do. They only made us wait about four seconds. And he drops down. Come on, then. <laughs> because he found another way in or out, I guess, <laughs> depending on your approach. Yeah. Well, and, and like the look on Cassie's face when he runs away is like this huge like disappointment. Like, oh, uh, you know what? 
I was just starting to like him, and look at what he goes and does. And then, you know, it turns around. It, he didn't abandon yep. her. They all make it back to the annex. And ordinarily, when we get to this this closing segment, it's usually only about maybe two minutes. And I like the fact that the debrief lasted probably about five because there was a lot that we still needed to address. And of course, one of the first things Jenkins tells them is well done. And Jones and Cassandra are both trying to give each other credit, which was nice because it balances off stone and still whatever's eating at him, because obviously it's way more than Cassie selling them out. Right. Well, and, and he, you know, he admits as much, you know, like he, you know, he says, Cassie, I, I like you. I really do. But he also admits that, you know, basically he has these really severe trust issues. And so you know, we understand that. And she understands that it's really his hang up. That's the problem, not hers. Yeah. And, and it clearly has something to do with his family. So obviously, you know, what are these family issues? Why has he not let anybody know that he has a, a 190 IQ? So I don't know. But that, that whole idea that trusting always ends badly. Right. And we know that that he can't take too many more episodes to get over this because it's going to get boring if he's just sulking in the corner all the time and not trust. You know, he's obviously he has to trust Cassie and Ezekiel and Eve and Jenkins and Flynn and you know all these people that he works with, they are a team. They are becoming a family and they need to trust one another. And so, you know, we're like, okay, this is good for now, but he's definitely got to get over this soon. Right. And, and speaking of getting away from things soon, Eve tells them she could have done better because she realizes she needs to get away from the rigidity of the military, that they're individuals. And I love that, that, line not assets to be protected because obviously that's what she did in her other life right yeah and that's what she kind of understood the job as guardian coming in with flynn right that was how it was explained to her as well you know though when we think about it they said really she has to be like the common sense to the librarian's head in the clouds so you know but with the term guardian it just makes it sound like she She's supposed to protect them. But, you know, as we said, really what she needs to do is get them to optimize their performance and get them to work together the be- to the best that they can. Right. And, and speaking of performance, points for math. But Stone, you mostly just got beat up. <laughs> so, you know, at, at the end of the day, this episode is, is, I think, more about them learning about each other and, and learning about themselves as well. And as as we said as a follow up to the two part pilot i don't think they could have done anything better no it was it was it was great like i said i mean like so many shows have the letdown in the, after the pilot but this one was uh it was great and i think it, you know by what it establishes that we have this kind of very you know like doctor who where the pace you just the action keeps going um there's not really a lot there are there are moments of reflection in there but really it uh they they push the pace and it's a very fast paced episode and there's lots of action and a lot of stuff going on and you know oh and also like in doctor who here's another parallel because like jenkins describes how the door works and it's just like you know like doctor who they're doing that all the time explain things in sciencey type language but you just kind of like 
you know, it's nod your head. Right, exactly. I just say, okay, so it's a door and it, it can take me anywhere or it's a TARDIS and go anywhere, anytime. Okay. I gotcha. All right. Anything else you want to say about this one? Uh, well, just like kind of in line with that, there's a one scene where, uh, I guess the guy Jackson tells the librarians how to get to human resources. He's basically like, make a left to the left and the right and everything. And then, you know, like, I don't know about everyone, but whenever people like tell me directions like that, like I hear like the first two words, and then the rest kind of like I miss. And it reminded me this one time that I was working uh, at this job and, and the, my buddy Brett and I, the, the, our boss was telling us what to do. She's given this whole lengthy list of instructions that I kind of, after the first two steps of the instructions, I kind of stopped paying attention and I just assumed that he was listening. I figured, okay, well, Brett's got this down. So as soon as we're walking away, I turned and said, okay, so what, what, I, I heard the first couple of things. I, I, did you get the rest? He's like, no, I thought you were paying attention. So, Well, as it turns out, it wouldn't have mattered. Right. Exactly. And it turned out okay that day, I imagine. Yeah. <laughs> I so, think we probably figured it out. Yeah. So, All right. Well. Definitely enjoyable, and you know, you you mentioned about the pace, and, and we didn't mention it when we talked about the beginning. But it was another cold open. This one didn't last too long because you know they uh, immediately got on the elevator, and she told Franklin she wanted him to order lunch for the meeting. But again, again we're dropped right in the middle of the action. So again, I think it's a great way. You can't do it every week. Well, we'll see if they do it every week, but right. Regardless, yeah. well, we at this point we they've kind of established that you know, so it seems like this might be a weekly type thing. All right, well, we want to thank you guys for joining us tonight. We'd love to hear from you with follow ups about any of the pilots that we previewed or anything else you think we should be watching. We'd love to hear what you're watching. Uh, I'd like to encourage you to join the Facebook group if you're already a member. Spread the word. Emails to sci-fi tv rewatch at gmail dot com or voicemails via SpeakPipe, which you can access through the website. We'll be back next week to discuss Season 1, Episode 4 of The Librarians, titled The Librarians and Santa's Midnight Run. Oh, I love this episode. Until then. So, you know, with the kids away, you know, my wife and I had a chance to talk, and this is really nice what she said to me. Said, so, uh, annoying and cryptic, those are your two speeds. <laughs>